Another day, another dollar here in post-pandemic America. And uh, the big news of the day, of course, is that all these companies seem to be suddenly offering products around Bitcoin. First, BlackRock filed, uh, about a week ago, I guess, BlackRock filed for a Bitcoin spot ETF. Spot ETF meaning it would be based on real Bitcoin held somewhere and not based on Bitcoin futures contracts. And uh, BlackRock has been credited, at least some of the big brains on Twitter, I haven't done the math on this, but BlackRock has been credited with giving gold about a 12x gain in, in value since they pioneered one of the first gold ETFs about 15 years ago. So BlackRock, again, falsely or correctly, I'm not really sure, they get some of the credit for gold being more accessible to mainstream investors because they were one of the first to launch a gold ETF, I believe, back in 2007. And now, again, they filed for a, uh, a Bitcoin ETF, which, if it's approved, will be called the iShares Bitcoin Trust. It'll trade uh, as part of their iShares uh, thing, their iShares brand. And then you got news that Wisdom Tree, uh, multi-billion dollar ETF manager, the Wisdom Tree has filed for a spot ETF also, and there are rumors that Fidelity also plans, rumors and speculation that Fidelity plans to uh, file for a similar product. And so what I was saying before we went live, because we're doing a live stream on TikTok simultaneously uh, today, what I was saying is that we briefly touched $30,600 per coin earlier this morning. And now we've come down a little bit. It's at 30,272, which even now, even after coming back down, is a gain of about 11% in one morning, up 11%. And then you have one of its competitors, Litecoin, which is the second crypto to launch after Bitcoin. Bitcoin launched in 2009. Litecoin launched in 2011. Uh, it has the longest uptime of any crypto longest continuous uptime record uh, in terms of it actually functioning, the network functioning. Uh, so Litecoin is up even more today, up nearly 12% at the moment. And uh, again, it, it went from being something that nobody wanted to talk about. Oh, didn't you hear about FTX? Didn't you hear about the influencers like Tom Brady and Kevin O'Leary and all these people in D.C.? who got caught up in FTX. Don't you know that crypto's over? Well, no, it turns out nobody in crypto actually really used FTX. I was never exposed to them. We never even talked about them. And they were relatively late to the scene, right? FTX launched in 2019 when many of us had already been in crypto for years. So FTX's impact, again, they dragged in some people like Tom Brady, but true crypto OGs were not really hurt by FTX at all. Then the media turned around and used it as like some example that crypto can't work, which was frustrating for those of us who know about the industry. It was frustrating for us to live through those few months of just public flagellation, right? Being publicly, you know, whipped by the media every fucking day. It was a little hard for those of us with some tech savvy and some computer science know-how to sit through all that bullshit. Because again, if you know crypto, you can always withdraw your crypto. Self-custody is not some fringe aspect of crypto. It's the whole point, right? Just like back in the day, if you used Napster, 
just hypothetically, if you downloaded songs on Napster or later on BitTorrent, you download it to your hard drive, right? Ultimately, it becomes your thing. It becomes your object. And in much the same way, you could have, you know, a self-hosted wallet, a wallet on your computer. And that gets around to having to trust an FTX or a Gemini or a Coinbase or any of these other companies withholding your crypto because it's meant to be P2P money. It's meant to be peer-to-peer money, just like Napster or BitTorrent cut out the record companies. This cuts out the, uh, the central banks and this cuts out the retail banks. You no longer need Wells Fargo or Chase Pay or whatever to pay another human being. And value is ultimately, since this will probably be the only podcast update I do until at least sometime in July, I should probably just walk people through the whole thing, right? Now that we got the numbers going up on TikTok, I should walk you through the whole macro vision here. And we're recording it, so it's not like it's going to be useless content. So why don't I do that? Why don't you guys get the numbers up? I'll pour a little glass of wine or maybe a, a shot of Tito's or something. And I'll walk you through truly why this is so important, why Satoshi was the most important thinker since at least Michelangelo, if not since Jesus Christ. And uh, let's get into this. This is fascinating times. And we waited about two years for this. Those of you who stayed by crypto, even after the FTX, again, the daily flagellation from the press, even after all your friends wrote it off and called you crazy or gullible or whatever, We waited through a two-year bear market. Normal people don't do that. Normal people don't hold on to an asset that's losing you money for two years. We did it because we really believe in what this thing is, is capable of doing. And I don't mean capable in terms of number go up or number go down. I mean capable in terms of this flips the money changer tables in a way that Jesus tried to, if the Bible's correct, right? Jesus gave it his shot. But this does it using software code. It's game over for the the boomer creeps who inherited central banks. Central banks are like this weird monopoly board game that people invented long before any of us were alive. And therefore, we have not opted in. We have not consented, right? And yet they create value. Well, value is just the human concept. I know this sounds a little, you know, little new age, but hang hang out with me for a little bit. You know, let's hold in there. Let's figure this out. Humans create value. No other species honors our dollar, nor do they care about gold or silver for that matter. Dolphins are supposedly roughly comparable to us in terms of brain uh, matter, you know, in terms of intelligence. Roughly comparable, they have no interest in gold coins. They have no interest in crypto. They have no interest in, in fiat dollars. So we're the only species on the planet that has constructed this abstraction this abstraction called money, and we did it to store energy, to store energy and to allow us to, to have a surplus, right? And people say to measure value between people, of course, like to pay other people, to pay other people for their work. But you can only pay other people for their work if you have a surplus to give, right? You can only give other squirrels nuts if you have a horde of nuts yourself. And again, no other species, not the squirrels, not the dolphins, not the great whales, not the great apes. None of them have an interest in this abstraction of value. Uh, So let me get this this little alcoholic helper here and I'll be right back because we're going to go all the way through. Someone says, really enjoy your takes. I appreciate that.
All right, cheers, everybody. It's hard to talk to this many people live um, without a little bit of liquid eloquence. Uh, <clears throat> Jason says the surplus led to technological breakthrough. Exactly. If you're stuck in state of nature, if you're naked and afraid, right? Like that show, Naked and Afraid. If you're in the woods with no surplus and no confidence in the future, then you don't have time, nor do you have the interest in developing technology. So you could argue that this abstraction of value, uh, this creation of money, was one of the first things that humans did that really takes us out of the jungle, out of the jungle and into the cities. It really gives us the capability to interact with each other in a way that's not just flight or, flight or fright, and in a way that's not just bang you over the head and take whatever shiny object you have or take whatever food you have. Instead, it allows us to really interact at a deeper, a deeper level where we can invest in each other. We can give each other loans. We can pay interest on those loans, right? The whole thing. So what happens when the whole game board is just rigged? What happens when we have this great invention money or value? Let's just call it value for now. And it's what gets people up in the morning. It's what gets the bus drivers to drive their buses. And it's what gets the UPS guy to deliver your packages is that he's getting a check every two weeks with some numbers on it. But what if that whole system, conspiracy theory of conspiracy theories, what if the whole system is made up and rigged and rigged against us, rigged, rigged long before any of us were born by weird boomer internationalists? That it's not even worth figuring these people out. They're such weirdos. It's not even worth figuring them out. Better to write it off as the distant past. And now something new has come. This crypto is like how you would create money if you were creating it from scratch in the internet age. It's incredible, right? It's like Satoshi came along in 2009, January 2008 actually is when he first started publishing stuff. But Bitcoin launches in January 2009. And his white paper which explains what it is and how it works. It's only eight pages long. It's not thousands of pages of documentation. Eight pages, just like Martin Luther nailing, nailing his points to the church uh, door. It's like he just laid down the law out of nowhere. This computer genius or team of computer geniuses or emergent AI or secret government agency I've heard all the theories, all the theories about who or what Satoshi is. And all we ultimately know is that it works. That just like email sends your email exactly when you hit send, and you either get it or you don't, right? You either receive the email or you don't. There's no, well, I sort of got it. Well, it's in transit, right? That's what, that's what crypto is. It's like once you send it, as long as you attach a big enough fee, then the network processes it and that person gets their money within minutes, and there's no middleman to say, oh, no, you're not deserving or, oh, we're going to freeze it and consider this for a while. No, it's actually liquid money. It's actually a great way to do value. And where the, the problems come from is people have lived their whole lives, especially older people. They've lived their whole lives scrambling for a different value system, scrambling for that check every two weeks 
with the number of dollars on it. But the dollar is just, it's a computer entry in a spreadsheet, right? Again, it was made up a little over 100 years ago. It's just the made up thing. We can't go back to what these people were thinking about, really. These strange men with their cigars and their secrecy. They went down to a place called Jekyll Island off the coast of Georgia and in secrecy created the Federal Reserve. It is a legal currency monopoly. And so here we are today on this planet, right? This planet revolving around a continuous hydrogen bomb. That's what the sun is, right? It's just a massive self-contained hydrogen bomb. And we're circling around this thing, and we're these hairless monkeys, basically, who have good technology now after 20 centuries of, of Western thought. We have smartphones and computer code and fast internet and super cheap storage, right? Hard drives are very cheap now and solid state memory and all that. Uh, and so here we fucking are. And thanks to the, the 20 centuries of technology and thanks to this genius Satoshi Nakamoto, who used elliptic curve cryptography uh, to build a system that cannot be broken, to build a system that will always be limited to the 21 million coins, the 21 million coins that is the limit for Bitcoin. And he again, he laid down the law. Out of nowhere comes an alternative to this creaking, creaking, shitty inherited system that we all scramble for because there is no alternative. I like to compare it to the light bulb versus the whale oil lamp. So everybody in America was using whale oil lamps. Even the streets at night were lit by these whale oil lamps. And it was bad because they had to harpoon whales and kill them just for a little gland, little gland in their head somewhere that produced the oil. So incredibly wasteful and, and uh, vicious. And then out, out of nowhere comes the light bulb. And JP Morgan, the man JP Morgan, not the company, uh, he was one of the first people in New York to have his house converted to electricity. And all his guests were so impressed by his electric lamps, you know, by his chandelier and stuff that was not lit by lamp, uh, by lamp oil, but was lit by electricity. And it took off like wildfire. And uh, government agencies were actually some of the big early adopters of light, because then you could have somebody in an office all day long. You don't need, uh, you know, you don't need the, the dangerous and expensive whale oil lamps. And so it happens once, once the light bulb takes off, once people see how obviously, obviously superior it is, right? It doesn't burn down your house. You can leave it on for days at a time. The costs are way smaller per unit, right? A light bulb is less than harpooning a whale, etc. So from that moment of genius, right, Tesla and Edison, from that moment of genius where you get a functional light bulb, uh, the whale oil lamp industry dissolves in a matter of years. You see the sales go down like this. And after a few years, there is effectively no more whale oil lamp industry. And it wouldn't matter how many goons or how many lobbyists or how much advertising the whale oil lamp industry was to do, it wouldn't matter how much money or how much time they'd put into convincing people. Once people saw the light bulb, they were sold. It's a massively better technology. And switching to light bulbs in your house and getting rid of oil, uh, oil lamps, it's not a political decision. You're not, you know, siding with one party. You're not saying you're conservative or, or progressive or whatever. Uh, 
quite the opposite, right? So it was just the functional thing where the average person saw, wait, this, wait a second, this is way fucking better than way oil lamps. And again, the old industry just dissolved in a matter of years. And that industry today is the central banks. We had nothing better. And for whatever reason, we, we gifted the creation of money to these handful of crazy boomers like Christine Lagarde and George Soros. We handed them so much power and so much privilege at the expense of the rest of us. And we didn't even realize it. We didn't even realize it because we didn't have a better system until Satoshi again pinned his, uh, you know, pinned his manifesto on the church wall, on the church door. Only eight pages long. It's incredible. This is a modern day movement that cannot be stopped. Now that you have BlackRock and Fidelity and uh, Wisdom Tree getting behind this thing, it cannot be stopped. You can say you're against it and that's your opinion or you can say you're for it and that's also your opinion. But just like email, just like the internet itself, once it takes off, once you get network effect, you can't stop this thing and uh, nor should you. So we go back to what we are. We're these hairless monkeys on a planet that spins around a hydrogen, hydrogen bomb ball, this big ball of energy. And we don't live for that long. You live 70 to 90 years on average. And of that, a lot of your time is spent sleeping. A lot of your time is spent in school, education, or job training. Your actual leisure time is very small, very small, maybe a handful of years of true leisure time and true uninterrupted time with your family and loved ones and stuff. And the rest of the time you're working. You're giving up your time in exchange for, again, that check every couple of weeks that has some dollars at the bottom printed out. And so you're literally exchanging your life force, your time on this planet and your life force and your expertise, if you're an expert or a professional, you're exchanging that for some money that was made up that has no proof of work component. This is what it's called when, when Bitcoin mines. The mining process is called proof of work. And what it does is it shows that you've done computational work. You've put work into the network. And in exchange for that, you have a chance of solving that block. So every 10 minutes or so, someone solves that block and they get the reward of 6.25 Bitcoin. That's the reward right now. Every four years, it's cut in half. So you know the next one will be what? 3.125 Bitcoin. So that's how the new money is created. Right now, our system, a handful of creepy elites that you and I have no access to. There's no conversation. There's no dialogue. There's no bill of rights. These central bankers just literally invent the fucking money and then make the rest of us on this planet scramble for their scraps. And we would have to take that if not for the invention of a better system. But just as when the light bulb came along, you no longer had to hear it from the whale oil lamp salesman. Now that we have crypto, we don't have to listen to these bizarre central bankers. And if somebody wants to write a good history book in the future about who really is George Soros, who really is Christine Lagarde, sure, go for it. But I don't want to focus on the past. What I want is to push these people aside, push them aside very peacefully, very diplomatically, and say, we don't need your whale oil lamps any longer. We have a way to pay each other. And again, that was the original innovation. The original innovation of value was that we could give somebody else something and they would do work for us or vice versa. Oh, you want some of my time? Well, just pay me some money and you can have it. So 
there's a utopia possible when people have a fair means of measuring value. And when that's not possible, we're all slaves. And it, it might seem nice because you can buy cool stuff with your credit card. And we all have really fun smartphones. We all have lots of entertainment and distractions. But if you don't have control over your own money, you're just the slave or you're just the servant. Uh, Jason says crypto is great in theory. Its value is highly unstable, hence the small utilization in the market. Well, what fascinated me actually is that when news first came out that BlackRock had filed a Bitcoin ETF, or before that, when they, they were planning to file it, right? All these headlines popped up about how BlackRock was imminently going to file for this spot Bitcoin ETF. The price didn't go through the roof. It did almost nothing, right? Here you have the largest asset manager in the world, BlackRock, filing a Bitcoin spot ETF, meaning if it's approved, this is now a source of, of, of demand for Bitcoin because they're going to have to buy Bitcoin to satisfy the needs of the trust, right? When people buy into the ETF, if they think they're buying actual Bitcoin, then BlackRock is the manager. They've got to buy Bitcoin to keep that fund uh, well capitalized or whatever. So uh, it's a game changer. It's an absolute game changer. And what's fascinating, again, is that it functioned as actual currency. It didn't function like some scammy penny stock. It, that's the biggest news we will probably ever see. BlackRock getting into Bitcoin is massive 10 out of 10 news that makes it worth waiting the last two years through this pathetic, sad bear market. It's all worth it now for the true believer because BlackRock is on board. And, and yet the price was stable in the hours after that announcement, relatively stable price. And now we're seeing again, a gain of close to 11% today. But that's again, not a penny stock. It's not like it suddenly tripled in value and now people can't use it this week, right? It, it, it did something reasonable in the wake of the biggest news possible. It gained 11%. Okay, that seems to be reasonable. Again, it didn't shoot through the roof and now it's not usable as a weekly currency. And when there's bad news about Bitcoin, it's been a, a stream of bad news until recently with regulators getting tougher on some of the big exchanges. So a stream of negative news and sentiment and it, it held in there. It stayed above, what, $25,000 a coin pretty much no matter what. I think it dipped a little bit, but pretty much never breached that 25K floor by much. Uh, that to me is amazing. Months of being beaten down with negative news and it holds in a certain range. And then the biggest news of all time. And it's still, you know, and part of the reason why it does that is that every day there's 900 new Bitcoin 900 new Bitcoin that are created through the mining process. So Satoshi was a true genius, a true, absolute, unequivocal genius, because he, uh, yeah, just double checking my math here. Right now, the current block reward, 6.25 Bitcoin every 10 minutes, it works out to about 900 Bitcoin per day. So that's 900 fresh Bitcoin that are potentially coming into the market of course, miners could choose to hold the Bitcoin rather than sell it on an exchange, but a potential 900 new Bitcoin per day. So it's not this super rare thing where there's never any more supply. Satoshi, again, was a genius because he created a, fun he created a functioning currency. And instead of giving the gift, giving the, the power of creating new money to these handful of creepers that the rest of us don't really fully understand, 
Uh, you know, they took down the WikiLeaks emails. They threw Assange in prison for now the last four years. Most of us don't really understand the political and financial elite. We don't really understand them, and we probably never will. Uh, but we don't have to. Now that we have Satoshi, we don't have to play their game anymore. And so, again, the guy was a complete genius. Because if he just wanted to create a pump and dump, there would be no new supply. right? If he was just going for a pump and dump, then you'd see, yeah, it would, it would skyrocket on the BlackRock news, but nobody would use it as money, and eventually it would come back down to earth. And here you see that's not what's happening. You see in this gradual run-up in the wake of such excellent, such excellent news, but you're not seeing any overnight penny stock-like pump of Bitcoin. You're seeing real usage. And again, it, it's like comparing email to the post office or the light bulb to the whale oil lamp. It's not a political movement, ultimately. It's a technology movement. Someone gave us something incredible, and now there's no going back. It's just like if they were to say tomorrow, hey, no more rockets. We're going to tell Elon Musk no more launching rockets. We're going to take away his, uh, take away his FAA licenses or his, his government contracts with the military. And we're, we're going to ground him, right? If the government were to say that, it wouldn't actually stop people from launching rockets. The world's a big place, right? People would just move development to another country and there would still be rocket launches pretty much every day. You can't turn off a technology once it's been invented. And that's what Bitcoin is. So I'm happy to take any, any questions or comments. Uh, what is the incentive for vendors to accept it? That's a good question. The incentive is twofold. One, you're getting, you're getting a form of cash that can't be reversed. The big issue with credit cards is there's a lot of credit card fraud where somebody buys something expensive and then they try to charge it back. They try to get it reversed. And as a result, credit cards are not cheap. You know, it's like 5% upwards to 10%. 5 to 10% is what your average small business pays for their credit card processor. So in other words, you pay with a credit card, that coffee shop or that website is only getting 90% of that money. Where does the other up to 10% go? Well, again, it, it's all required because of the fraud department and the customer service phone numbers and all that stuff. With Bitcoin, you send the money and it's gone. You can't get your money back once you've successfully sent it. And that irreversibility keeps the cost to transact very low. Right? All you're paying is the transaction fee and that's it. Uh, and that transaction fee isn't dependent on how much Bitcoin you send. So if you want to send $100 of Bitcoin or $100 million of Bitcoin, the fee, you, the fee you pay is the same. That right there is revolutionary. Uh, and the other incentive for them, aside from they get quickly settled cash that can't be charged back, the other incentive is if you're earning in Bitcoin, you, you now hold a, a portion of that 21 million eventual coins. Unlike gold, once you hit the 21 million or once you even get close to that, that asymptotic limit, uh, once you get close to that asymptote, right, it gets closer and closer and closer to the 21 million. But as it happens, the mining reward rate goes down further and further, right? Every four years, it's cut in half. So eventually in 100 years or whatever, we're at 21 million coins, and you'll own a portion of that money supply. And that's all that will ever exist. So that's the other incentive. That's why some people on the internet like to beg for uh, Bitcoin tips and stuff is that they know if they can get a couple of Bitcoin squirreled away, they own a couple of what will eventually be only 21 million at max. 
and experts believe at least a few million coins have been lost forever. So Satoshi's original coins are believed to be non-usable. We don't know if that's true or not, but that's, that's the theory since he hasn't moved any of them, is that he didn't keep his password or he didn't keep his private key and he just let those coins go. Uh, and then big Bitcoin people over the years have passed away and many of them did not have a, a process in place for gifting the money to a loved one. And so that money is presumably gone forever unless they shared the password or, you know, the private keys. So that's money that's gone forever. And so it's actually rarer than most people think, because right now it's like, what, 18 something million are out there. But of those, 3 million or so may be gone forever. And so you're talking about 15 million coins for the world economy, and it's cheaper than credit cards, and it can't be reversed, and it can't be killed by inflation. Once you own a Bitcoin, you own a Bitcoin. It can't be diluted in some way as, as inflation does. Uh, what are your thoughts on BRICS countries dropping the American dollar on August 1st? Well, I, I haven't heard that deadline. I haven't heard that date. But I have heard, you know, the BRICS countries want to move away from the dollar. And as they do that, Bitcoin is one of the most, uh, most likely things that they'll peg their system to. Because if they want to use gold, the problem with gold is you can always mine more of it. If the price of gold goes up enough, it justifies building new mines and also digging deeper. And then there's all these theories about, you know, Gold deposits at the bottom of the ocean, even gold deposits maybe in the Grand Canyon or beneath the Grand Canyon. All these theories that gold is more plentiful than they've told us and that they're kind of keeping, that they're doing what they do with diamonds, right? They're keeping the supply artificially tight in order to benefit the gold industry and the people who hoard gold. And the theory, maybe it applies, maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But certainly within the solar system, gold is not rare at all. So in the near future, some Jeff Bezos or Eric Schmidt or something could presumably fund a, a space probe to grab one of these asteroids and just shove it back to low Earth orbit. And then you pick it apart in low Earth orbit or you, you know, crash the thing into the ocean at a controlled speed. And then, boom, you got trillions of dollars in new gold that hits the market overnight. Gold is, again, not that rare because it's all dependent on the price. If there was, you know, a doubling of the gold price, you would see a massive increase in gold mining investment. With Bitcoin, again, there's that software code that caps it. Doesn't matter what the price goes to. If it goes to $100,000 a coin, you're still only getting 6.25 new Bitcoin every 10 minutes or so. And I got to head out in a second, but I'll take any last questions or comments. And uh, everybody should get my sub stack. After two months of people asking me to do it, I have a paid sub stack now. Uh, so link and profile if you're watching on TikTok. And the link will be in description if you're listening on the podcast. Uh, but yeah, so you go over to Substack and you add your email address and it's eight bucks. But right now you get a free trial. You get a seven day free trial. And with the free trial, you can go back through all my old posts, like a year and a half of content. You can read all that stuff. You get instant access. And... Uh, you also get my updates. So I can't guarantee anything in the next week or so because I'm pretty busy. But definitely over the summer, throughout July, I'm going to be sending a lot of updates and thoughts on all this stuff. Um, can't code be manipulated? 
Well, it's, it's open source code that's been reviewed by a lot of smart people. A lot of smart people with different backgrounds. And even at this point, a lot of companies like PayPal uh, have reviewed the code base. Um, so you got the open source aspect. People know what the code looks like. It's not some black box. And then you get the fact that there are multiple volunteers and that there's no one person that controls Bitcoin. And then on top of that, you get the fact that what makes Bitcoin run is the miners, right? The mining network. And so to switch to a new version of Bitcoin where you change some aspect of the code, like if you wanted to get rid of the 21 million coin cap, you would have to convince the majority of the miners to switch to your version of the software, which would be almost impossible to do. Why would they switch to a version? Why would the miners who make their money from selling Bitcoin, why would they ever switch to a version that destroys Bitcoin's premise? Why would they switch to Bitcoin, quote unquote, unlimited, right? They wouldn't. There, you would never get a scenario where 51% of the mining network would switch to a version that throws all of us under the bus. So that's my answer to that question. Uh, and that's it. I'm going to head out. But again, everybody should get that Substack link in profile or link in description. Add your email address. And again, seven-day free trial. So you have nothing to lose. And that way you get to go back through a year and a half of my posts and, and see the stuff I've been talking about because we really held in here for this one. And uh, although I say it's not political, it is populist, right? I don't, I don't see what Trump's doing, the, the angry, cold stare he gives, that, you know, just like fuming stare and his multiple legal cases. Now they're getting him on the national security aspect, right? The, the documents. That's a breach of national security. Well, he threw Julian Assange under the bus, supposedly on national security grounds. He let his administration, his Department of Justice, completely destroy Assange's life and future. And Trump allowed that to happen to a couple of other people during his term. National security, the most sacred, right? The most sacred thing. Well, now Trump has run afoul of our core national security interests. That's the claim of the government anyways. That's what they're prosecuting him for in court. And that to me is not populism. Watching that sad boomer ego slowly crash and burn, regardless of what you think of Trump, watching him slowly crash and burn in federal court is not how we free ourselves. It's not how we break free. Again, we're these hairless monkeys on an interesting planet and we live 70 to 90 years and we're not working for somebody else or listening to somebody else. We only really have a few years of free time. How do we want to spend it as paupers, as servants who owe other people made up money? Or do we want to participate in this new thing that, again, a modern day Michelangelo or a modern day Da Vinci has gifted to us for whatever reason, just like Mark Zuckerberg thought of Facebook or, or DARPA did and gave him the idea, whatever, just as Microsoft came out with Windows, just as Steve Jobs thought of the iPhone. It's like now we've got this new thing and there's no going back. Thank you guys so much.